today I want to continue with this series that we've been in called Do Not Fear. All of us at some level have to wrestle with and deal with fear. I believe that fear is really rooted in two things, our response to two kinds of threats, both real and imaginary. Real threats pose a risk to our survival. So if you stand at the edge of the cliff, there's something inside of you that tells you not to jump off because you know that you're in real danger and you feel that sense of danger. That would be considered a real threat. Imaginary threats, though, are hypothetical scenarios that play out in our imagination. And today, before we jump into three ways that I feel like we can overcome the fear of failure, I just want to talk a little bit about our imagination, sort of as an introduction, but really about the things that happen within what I'm calling the battlefield of the mind, the place where your thought life plays out each and every day. You see, the fear of failure, by definition, involves imaginary threats. It's the experience of that fear that might be real for you, but the threat itself is not. The threat is a prediction. It's a projection. It's a product of imagination, which means that we need to be able to detect what is real and what is imaginary. And I think that the scriptures tell us how to do that. The scriptures tell us to have the mind of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 and verse 16. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. That's really important. Underline that or swipe that or highlight that. Whatever you do, put a post, uh, post note on there. We've not received the spirit of the world. Paul's beginning to introduce some contrast here. But the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And then he goes on to say a few verses later, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then he answers his own rhetorical question, but we have the mind of Christ. All right, so I want to set this up for us, okay? So Paul comes to us and he says, we've not received the spirit of the world, right? How many know the spirit of the world is, a, is, a, is an ideology, it's a worldview, it's a, an actual spirit that's wrapped up in man. It's wrapped up in the systems and the thinking of man. It's wrapped up in Babylon. It's wrapped up in corruption. It's wrapped up in greed. It's wrapped up in everything that opposes the spirit of God. All right, and Paul makes it very clear that as the body of Christ, you and, you and me, those that have put your hope, faith, and trust in Jesus, that have become a new creation in him, whose life is rooted in, in flowing from him, that you have not received that spirit, okay? And he says, the spirit you've actually received is the spirit of God, the spirit of God himself, so that you can know the thoughts of God, so that you can think the way God thinks. This was revolutionary because up until now, everybody viewed Jesus as rabbi, viewed Jesus as teacher, viewed Jesus as Messiah, but nobody was taking it to the next level. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. That was just a foundation for the spirit of God living in you, abiding in you so that you can have his mindset so that you can see the way he sees and think the way he thinks and have his thoughts. I think it's Isaiah that says, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts as the, as the heavens are above the earth. That's, that was Isaiah's reality. But you know what Paul's reality is? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ because we have the spirit of God 
living in us and dwelling and infilling us as believers. So, I believe the mind, our imagination, is the battleground for how we live because our thoughts, how we yield this, actually shape us and mold us into the kinds of people that we're becoming. And I believe that's why we're called to have the mind of Christ. Paul's asking the question, who can comprehend or know the thoughts of God? But really what he's saying is, who can think the way God thinks? And then he assures us, we can. We can actually have God's thoughts on the matter. So when you get up in the morning and you're, you're facing a difficult situation at work and you're like, I don't know really what the answer is. The answer isn't for you to try to figure it out. The answer is for you to ask your heavenly father, God, what are your thoughts on this? And then wait. And it might get uncomfortable for a little while. <laughs> but ask him, what is your mind on this matter, God? I know this person said this and it offended me and it really hurt me, God, but what's your thoughts toward them? Oh, your thoughts toward them is love? Oh, you want me to bless them? Not to curse them? Oh, you want me to actually give to them? No, that can't be the mind of Christ. It's got to be the devil. No, the truth is, is that we have the mind of Christ. We have the thoughts of God. We have his spirit so that we can think the way that he thinks. This is what makes it so revolutionary. We can. We have the mind of Christ. Who can know these things? Who can understand? As the spirit discerns the thoughts, we can. The people of God, the church, ordinary folks just like you and me. Not, not just the theologians, not just the scholars, not just the professionals, but you and I can wake up every day and know this reality, that our minds can be yielded to the mind of Christ. This is why, once again, I believe the battleground is always in the mind. Listen to what Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. through five. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Come on. We destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And here's the important part. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when a thought enters your mind that you know is not of God, you take it captive. You submit it to the Spirit of God. You say, that's not of the mind of Christ. Nope, that's, that's knowledge that exalts itself against who God is in my life and who Jesus has revealed himself to be to me. So no, I'm not gonna allow that to rule and reign in my life. And you know what that means? It means you don't sit there and entertain it and think about it and worry about it and stress about it. So someone says you're an idiot, you don't go home and sit on your couch and wonder if you're an idiot. You say, no, 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 I'm gonna take that thought captive and it's going to obey Christ. And Christ says, I'm chosen, and I'm beloved, and I'm a new creation, and I'm his. He says that I've been made in his image, and I'm the apple of his eye. So you begin to take those thoughts captive. Someone comes up against you and says something that isn't in line with God's thoughts for your life. And how do we know? Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is of a good report. Think on these things, the scriptures tell us. All right, the scriptures give us all kinds of cues on how to do this, on how to take every thought captive. The best way, and my encouragement to us today, is that we come into alignment with God's word. That we allow the book, his holy word, to actually define and inform and shape our lives. A lot of times, though, we're quick to run to the opinion of others. We get on the phone with our best friend and we start gossiping. Can you believe that person, they did that? 
oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're so bad, they're so evil. And we start, we start feeding into it. We start coming into alignment with the spirit of the world, which is gossip and slander and oppression and opposition to what God wants us to think like. Paul wants us to be on the offensive, not just to take a defensive posture. It's not enough just to be defensive about it. I come from California, and in California, everybody drives really offensively. When I moved to Utah, I realized everybody drives very defensively. Two people will come to an intersection, and one will wait, and the other will wait, and then they'll wait, and then another car will be coming 500 yards away, and, you'll, and they'll be sitting there waiting to make that left turn, and you're just wondering, is anybody ever going to make a decision? Now, you can go through life that way, just waiting, you know, just sitting back, defensive posture. I mean, hope, hopefully nothing's, nothing happens. Or you can get on the offensive against the thoughts that come against you. And you can take an offensive position, an offensive meaning on the attack, saying when a, when a, when a thought comes, you're quick to, to, to take it into captivity, to pull it down. That's what Paul says we do. And we don't do so in the flesh. We don't rally and get all mad and angry and like hoopla. No, no, no. We do so in the spirit. Because our, we are waging war according to the Spirit. And, and the amazing thing is that Paul is telling us we have these weapons, these amazing tools that God has given us to wage war, to take an offensive position, to, to get strategic with how we're going to come into alignment with God's thoughts for our life. Maybe you just need to, like, ladies, pull out the lipstick and just write on your mirror, I am chosen, I am loved. I am forgiven. I am set free. I am redeemed. I'm a new creation. Fellas, I don't know. If you're wearing lipstick, we'll talk afterwards, but you could find chapstick or something. I don't know. Find a way to get on the offensive and just remind yourself to think the thoughts that God has for you because these are weapons in our life that he wants us to be informed about. Paul also goes on to say in Romans 12 too, and I'll, I'll be quick on this. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Once again, the importance is what's happening within the mind. That by the testing, that by, excuse me, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, the goal is not that we would conform to the world or to fear, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And when this happens, I believe we come more and more into alignment with the way God thinks about us, which is what we want. Here's what I've learned about being a follower of Jesus. You can be saved, but not set free. You can be healed, but not delivered. You can receive his spirit, but not go on being filled. You can have his mind, but not think his thoughts. Some of you think that when you come to Christ that all of a sudden God's just going to flip the switch and that's all going to happen automatically for you. It's not because you're being trained in righteousness. You're being recalibrated and transformed according to the renewal of your mind. And so when the Spirit of God moves in, guess what? Some stuff's got to move out. Some thoughts that were there for a long time, the way you thought about your parents, the way you thought about your life and your past and your hurt and the person that hurt you, they got to leave. If you're going to have the mind of Christ, if you're going to come into alignment with the way he thinks about you and the way he wants you to think about others. So today I want to look at, that was my introduction, you're welcome. Today I want to look at three things that I think we can do to face and overcome the fear of failure. The fear of failure. Number one, we allow God to realign our focus. You see, I think much of the struggle with the fear of failure is about what we're focusing on. 
How many know we spend a lot of time nowadays looking at screens, focusing on what's in front of us? The news. Oh, it's bad news today. Oh, it's earthquakes. Oh, it's famine. Oh, it's politics. Oh, it's greed. Oh, it's humanity. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. And we just spend a lot of time gazing into it. More so than ever before. Before you, you read the newspaper, you put it down and it's done. Now it'll, it pops up on your phone, notifications. I had to turn it all off because I was getting sick and tired of my phone trying to rule my life. I had to take an advanced, an aggressive position against it because notifications would pop up. Just telling me everything that's going wrong. All right? What's, what's, what's collapsing within the, the banking system and how, what's going on? It's just filling, trying to fill your life with fear. And I said, you know what? No more of this. I'm just going to turn this off. And I'll tell you what, I feel so much better. <laughs> My thoughts seem so much clearer. And I would, I would encourage you to try it just for a day. Just, just, just try to turn the phone off or turn off Facebook or Instagram, whatever, whatever you do, okay? And just disconnect and change your focus. I believe that if we change our perspective, we change our focus, it'll change everything. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is actually the author and the finisher of our faith and that our focus, or I'm going to say today, our gaze should be on him and not on others. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end meaning there's no point at which you and I are supposed to take our eyes off of him. We've all heard the story, Peter walking on water. But when did Peter start to sink? When he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started noticing the wind and the waves. All right, our lives begin to sink when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start noticing the storm around us. And we start focusing on all the peril and all the trouble and all the bills and all the, I mean, just fill in the blank. But we're called to be a people who set our eyes firmly fixed. Fixed is like immovable. It's like rock solid. And our eyes are called to be on him from whom our faith depends. The truth is your faith depends on Jesus for everything. There's no part of this journey of faith where you get to take over. But sometimes we do, don't we? We go, okay, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. But now I got the wheel. And I, I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on, on being successful. I'm going to make a whole bunch of money, and then I'm going to come back and serve you, Jesus. Or I'm going to finish this, this project, and then I'll, maybe I'll, I'll tend to the poor. Or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And next thing you know, we're in the driver's seat again, and our eyes are looking out at what we want to look out rather than at looking at Jesus. So here's your application today. Set your gaze. Set your gaze on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Behold him. Look into his goodness and his mercy. Focus on his love and his character. And slowly, you'll find yourself realigning your focus, that you'll begin to realign your thoughts with his thoughts. See, the fear of failure is ultimately one where we're afraid of what the outcome may be. But if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that fear isn't a fear that we have to worry about because we trust where he's leading us. Jesus, if you're the author, we trust you with the story. And if you're the finisher, you're, you're the one that brings a conclusion, then I trust you with where that story is going. I don't have to insert myself. I don't have to insert my own ideas, my own ideology. No, Jesus, I just need to firmly fix my eyes on you the author and the finisher, the one that set it in motion 
and for whom our faith depends. So you need to set your gaze. Number two, you need to allow God to reorder your steps. You see, much of our struggle with the fear of failure is that we don't know how to take real steps. We look at other people's goals and we look at their dreams and we fail to realize that most of those people took a whole bunch of steps. We want everything now. I want it now. I want it my way. I want it now. I want to be a success today. I don't want to have to save up. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work for anything. I want it now. And if I don't get it now, then I'm going to go figure out another way to get it now. And what we fail to realize about successful people is that they've taken a lot of steps. And I think generationally, this is why we need each other. We believe that God's called us to be a multi-generational church. So if you think we're here just to reach the cool, young, hip crowd, I got news for you. We need each other. You older ones, you more seasoned ones in the room, we need what you have. We need your wisdom. We need your insight. We need your perspective. We need you to speak into our lives. And so young people, the best advice I could give you today is go seek out someone who's twice your age and ask them, how they started their business, how they navigated parenting, how they raised their kids, how they did what they did, and then just sit and shut up and let them just teach you some stuff, all right? Because Google doesn't know everything. And the mistake we think is that just because we know we've become, but we haven't become what we know. We just know how to type in Google real fast. And so we have all this information and all this knowledge, but no transformation, How many know information doesn't always mean transformation? You can be the most informed person on the planet, have access to all the technology, have all the knowledge, have all the Wikipedia articles memorized by heart. Come on. But still not have a transformed heart. And so my encouragement to you would be, get around somebody that's 10, 15, 20, 30 years older than you. And just sit at their feet and learn from them. You know what will happen? Is you'll start to actually take steps toward becoming the kind of person you want to become and achieving the things you want to achieve because you'll actually have some wisdom for your life. And see, wisdom doesn't tell us to take big, fat leaps. Some of us think that our life of faith is a, is a, is a life where we're just jumping off cliffs and we're just leaping out into the unknown. Sometimes. But you know what it is normally? It's little steps. It's taking steps. A couple years ago, there was this movie back in the 90s called What About Bob? And the character was paranoid of life, of everyone, and he didn't want to leave his apartment. And when he did, he had to take little baby steps. So he'd baby step out of his apartment. He'd baby step down the hall. He'd baby step outside. He'd baby step into the taxi. And the idea was that he was was facing his fear one little step at a time. But you know, there's real wisdom in that. Because a lot of times we get stuck because we think we have to take this gigantic leap. Like, we got to just go for it. Ah! And God's going, no, 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 sweetheart, you're cute. But all I'm asking you to do today is to take a little step, just a little baby step, just a little step. And you'll be surprised. You'll look back and you'll go, wow, look at all those steps. I didn't realize I'd followed you this far, Jesus. He goes, yeah, I just needed you to take a step. And here's what the scriptures say, Psalm 40, verse 2. He says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. That's where your feet get stuck. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Isn't that good? God actually will make your steps secure. I said last week that it's easier to steer a moving car than a parked one. Some of us just need to take that step. And I don't know for you today what that is, but 
I, I believe that if you'd pray about what your next step this week is, and whatever you're facing, maybe your personal life, maybe your, your, your career, maybe in, in just the, the place that God has you now, that you'd ask God, God, what's my next step? And it might be smaller than you think, but it might be more important than you realize. Because a life of faith is about allowing God to reorder and realign our steps. See, some of us get stuck in the bog of life. Or, or we make a mistake, or we, we take the wrong turn, and we think that, oh, life will never work out for me now. But the truth is, you're just a step away from getting right back on course with God. And maybe you're here today, and you feel like you've kind of, been, you've kind of walked away from the Lord, or you've kind of turned your back on him. You're only a step away. You're only a prayer away. You're only a decision away from getting right back on course. God is Redeemer as reconcile, as reconciler, as restorer, has this amazing propensity and ability to course correct. He can take all of your crazy figure eights and cul-de-sacs and everything else and get you back on course. He's that good and he's that great. So I would encourage you this week and whatever you're facing, take a step. Maybe your goal this week is to lose five pounds. Okay, take a step. Don't go eat the chocolate. <laughs> Any chocolate lovers out there? Oh, come on. You know you're going to go get some after the service is over. It's good. It's good. God made chocolate and he said it was good. <laughs> but if that's your struggle, then take a step away from the fridge this week. All right? Maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe it's something else. And I'm not here to tell you today what it is. But I know this. If you just be willing to take one step, be surprised how God will honor that and use that and shape that and stir that in the right direction that it's supposed to go. Here's your application. Set your feet. First and foremost, I want to tell you, you need a solid foundation. You need Jesus in your life. It's the most important step that you'll ever take. And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus and to have your feet established on Jesus, the rock of your salvation, we're going to give you, in just a moment, we're going to pray for you. We're going to give you an opportunity to make that decision. And then lastly, number three, you got to allow God to redefine your success. This is a really important one. Much of our struggle with the fear of failing or failure is that we don't know how to really truly measure success. This is hard because we're very blessed as Americans, as, as those that live in this country. God has given us so much and access to so much. But I found that with all of the plenty, it's becoming harder and harder to define what success really is. Anybody else feel that way? 20 years ago, success looked a lot, whole lot differently for most people than it does today. 30 years ago, 50 years, 100, 200 years ago, when people were st first coming into this, this country, success was just not dying of smallpox. <laughs> you had breath in your lungs and you made it to 40. Congratulations, you lived a successful life. So it's a moving target. It's a moving target. But what I've come to realize is that we have to allow God to redefine what's success for you and I. In other words, to redefine what are your wins. Some of you need to know what your wins are. You need to know what your target is so that you know how to aim and what it is that you're going for. The problem is that we look at everybody else's life. We look at other people's races and then measure our success based on their race and their life. See, I believe that all of us have a race that we're called to run. And that race is ultimately what defines success for you and I. It's not, did you make a whole bunch of money? Did you get the right car? Did you marry the right girl? No, it's, did you run your race? 
Did you run the race that God's called you to run? Hebrews 12.1 tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us, here it is, run with endurance the race that is set before us. That last word, us, I want you to, to write over it or above it, me. Run the race that is set before me. I want you to make it personal. Because it is. Because each of us is called to run our race. The problem when you're, when you're running your race and you look over at somebody else, you start to veer off course. And next thing you know, you're crashing into them and you're crashing into things. But if your eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus and your steps have been ordered of God and you've set your gaze on him and you've set your feet, you can run your race. You can run your race in such a way that you know what you're running for. You know what lane you're in. You know what God's called you to be about? Whether that's a mom, a parent, a business owner, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a musician, whatever it is that God has called you to quote unquote do, that you would know the race that he's called you to run and that you'd run it with all you've got. That you'd run it with everything that you have because that, my friends, is what success really is. It's you fulfilling what God's created you to fulfill your purpose, why you're here on this planet. A couple months ago, I went to the Taco Fest in downtown Salt Lake, uh, which was a, a really bad idea, by the way. Um, I dropped like $35 on like three tacos. I don't understand how that can happen. Um, but I was standing in line with, uh, with another gentleman who'd had a little bit to drink, and he struck up a conversation with me and wanted to know what I did. And it's always fun when people ask me that question. I always stop and wait to see how the Holy Spirit wants me to answer uh, because I know the conversation is going to go one of two ways. But I told him, I said, I'm a pastor. You know, we're getting ready to start this church and we're really excited about it. And he's like, whoa, church. Like, oh, I hit the hot button. He's like, dude, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not religious, dude. I'm not down with all that. And uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm agnostic, you know, so I'm not really sure what I'm sure about. And I said, oh, man, that's, that's amazing. Like, how, how do you process life through, through that grid, you know? And so he started talking to me, and he just, you know, he had all these thoughts and all these ideas. And I listened to him, and I was just real sensitive. At the end, I said, man, that's amazing, but why are you here? He's like, dude, nobody's ever asked me that. I'm like, why do you exist? What's the purpose of life for you then? Like, what's, what is it all for? He's like, man, I, I don't know. And he just kind of stared off, you know, like he didn't know his race. He was running. How many know you can run <laughs> like a hamster on a wheel? You can run and get nowhere. He didn't know his race. And I think sometimes we don't always know our race and we get sucked into foolish arguments and quarrels. And we look at other people's life. We compare, we contrast, we get our eyes off of Jesus and we fail to take the step because we're worried about failing and all these things when God said, no, 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 no. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before you. Come on. And they're cheering you on. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it, Fernando. You can do it, Jake. You can do it, Elizabeth. You can do it, Michael. You can do it, Matt. You can run the race. You don't have to give up. Life is about a marathon. It's not about a sprint. Some of us, we get saved and we're like, ah, we just sprint out. And then we're just exhausted, right? Just, you, you know it. People are just like laying out on the sidewalk like, oh, I got really beat up, you know? 
oh, I got really like stressed out. Oh, I got burned out, you know? But God's not calling us to sprint. He's calling us to run and to run with endurance, meaning in a way that lasts. There's a way that you can run that's not with endurance and you'll burn out, but there's a way that you can run with endurance that's lasting. And so my heart and my hope for you today is that this week, when you're praying or when you're alone with your thoughts, that you would just ask God, God, what is my race? When it's all said and done, Lord, what, what's the kind of impact that you want my life to have? Is it, is, it, is it this? Is it that? Is it part of this? And guess what? You may not get the full answer. You may get just a, a part of it. He might just show you a little puzzle piece. Like, hey, right here. This is where I want you to go next. Boom. Okay. And you're running. And you're running. And you're running. Maybe today some of you are crawling. And I just pray that right now the Holy Spirit would just come and just give you such strength that you would know you don't have to crawl through life. You don't have to just survive. The Holy Spirit wants you to thrive. I believe that this church wants you to thrive, to be strong and courageous in all that you do. So let me pray for you.